Welcome to the Cardi Show Podcast. My name is Brent Cardi. Glad to have you with us. Brett Gard is along for the ride this week. And uh, very happy and excited to have an old friend back on the podcast. It's great to welcome uh, Brian Crawford back to the program. Brian was uh, on many, many times during the early days of the podcast. Uh, Brian and we were just talking with Brian. It's been seven years, which is uh, freaking crazy. We're going on nine years on this podcast, and that was unbelievable. Uh, Brian still runs the jaysprospects.com out of Lapeer, Michigan. I put Lansing in my run sheet, but uh, that's okay. I mean, uh, there's a bit of a distance, probably close enough. Regardless, Brian, it's uh, great to see you. Welcome back. Yeah, thanks for having me. Talk to us about the uh, Jays Prospect website and how it's going. It's been going really well. When I first joined the site, I was uh, covering the prospects in Lansing, but as we know, Lansing's no longer a Blue Jays affiliate. Since then, I've been moving on to doing mostly phone interviews with players at every level. I got several interviews with players in Dunedin, Vancouver, New Hampshire, and Buffalo. There's a lot of constant content going on there. I feel like the last two seasons, I've probably been getting about 50 interviews a year. So I have a, a lot of constant content going up there at different players at different levels. From some of the top prospects in the system, like we have a piece up there on Ricky Tiedemann, you know, some further down the some players that fans might not be as familiar with. I think it's a really good website for people to check out and learn about some of the players in the Blue Jay system. I agree. That is good stuff. So does the prospect of uh, the process of watching prospects, has it become any more difficult now that the lug nuts are actually an Oakland Athletics uh, organization? Following the players in the system, it's a little bit different. I mean, I listen to some of the radio broadcast and it's sometimes they all have like minor league streams. So a lot of it is more like not really seeing them as much live, but just kind of following online what they're up to and really just focusing my articles on, you know, what the players tell me, you know, it's about them, it's about their development. So I don't, I don't take that lightly. Like if they tell me like they're working on a certain pitch, you know, that's what I'm going to make the article about, you know, it's about them. I let, I let them tell their story. How have the minor league changes affected you and how have, and how they've affected the players, broadcasters that, I've interacted with for example sometimes road teams can now be away from home for almost two weeks yeah yeah i'd say it's it's very different since the covid lockdown you know teams are doing these six game stretches with a team instead of instead of being at a place for like three or four games they're there for an entire week so like the schedule is a lot different other than that though like Around me, like the, you know, like a lot has changed because like the Midwest League went from being a low A league to a high A league. There's been a little upgrade in the talent. There's, you know, obviously there's been a reassignment. Obviously there's less minor league affiliates now. There's less, I think it creates more like competition with the players. Obviously there's less opportunity. So it breeds more competition with the players you know, to fight to have a spot in one of these organizations. So I was kind of unsure when they realigned it, because, like, you know, it's going to limit how many opportunities there are for players, but I feel like it just breeds more competition among them. Right on. What all have you heard about the newly formed Minor League Players Union and how it's actually benefiting players you're covering? I feel like it's... It's benefiting them in the fact that they're actually making a little bit more money now. And they have, since the COVID lockdown, like players actually have like their own apartments. They're not living with like families like they used to. I think that's one of the biggest changes in the last couple of years is that they have their own place that they can live, making a little more money. So I think overall, like the landscape has improved quite a bit. 
think the players really like it that they have it's not like that it's living with host families and you know only making like a thousand dollars a month for a couple months a year you know they're making like twice that and they're actually you know they have their own place when they're doing a homestand like they have like their own private place that they live it's mostly been positive changes with the players i think they like the new setup there's uh definitely a benefit to sleeping in your own bed every night you know especially oh, yeah, absolutely. You, yeah you can get yourself a nice 12 game homestand i mean that's uh something beautiful yeah when you're gone you miss your bed oh ain't that the truth ain't <laughs> that the truth uh anybody can definitely relate to that as we record this uh we aren't terribly far removed from the trade deadline that just passed mm-hmm. a lot of people that i interacted with and it's a it's a discussion point with Brett and I believe that the Jays didn't have enough in the prospect pool to make a big splash to require a big player. As somebody who covers the prospects in depth, like you do, did you feel that they had enough to deal a player or two or three for a high leverage right-handed hitting bat? It's for, I think it depends on the player. Sure. Obviously to get somebody like Shohei Atani, they wanted two top 100 prospects. Oh, just um, two. I think it was two or was it three? Right now, the Blue Jays have Ricky Tiedemann. He's the only top 100 prospect. So to maybe go after somebody like that might be a little bit difficult. I think it really depends on the team and the player they were going after. I don't. I think there were certain players, like, I don't think they really wanted the trade Ricky Tiedemann. Sure. And I don't think they wanted the trade like Elvis Martinez. I think there's certain players they definitely wanted to hold on to. So as far as getting a high-end bat, like, I think they kind of addressed what they wanted. Like, I mean, they're not looking to replace Bo Bichette. They needed somebody to come in while he was injured for a little bit. The infield's pretty stacked. The outfield, you know, they may have been able to make an upgrade there. But I think it really depends on the player. As far far as trying to get, like, a really high-end guy, I think it was a little bit harder because they don't have as many of the top 100 guys as some other teams do. Are top 100 ratings overrated, in your opinion? I'd say so. I mean, there's so many players that can make it. I mean, look at a guy like Davis Snyder coming up, and he's just absolutely killing it. I mean, this is a guy that was drafted in the 28th round out of high school, and scraped at the lower levels of the minor leagues and struggled for a few years. And, you know, about a year ago, just finally figured it out. And, you know, he's coming up to the majors as having a hot start. I think there's definitely more to looking at prospects than this saying, oh, this guy's a top 100. He's definitely going to make it. There's a lot of other guys that's going to make it too. Yeah, no, and that's that's the beauty part. We'll talk about David Schneider in a minute, but I wanted to key in on that player development conversation because it's fascinating as both of you guys know, you know, we've seen guys taking a quicker trajectory to the big leagues, guys like Alec Manoa. And it's hard to think that we won't see the same with Ricky Tiedemann. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we David Schneider was a guy at one point in time who almost packed it in. But with the new complex and, you know, all the fancy, dan- you know, machinery in there, complex leagues, do you think we'll have a more standard path uh, for new players to come to the show? I think so. I think they have definitely have the facilities to, you know, get those high-end players. I think right now, you know, the team being in such a win-now mode, um, they've had a lot of years where they've traded prospects at the deadline. So I think right now their overall minor league system isn't as deep as others because they're trying to win right now. But I think over time, like, you're definitely going to see the system build back up. I mean, every player I've talked to, like, they just absolutely rave about the complex and the facilities and 
how they feel it's like second to none to any other team out there. I think there's a lot of appeal to the Blue Jays right now. Like, I think it's an organization that people want to be a part of. So, yeah, I, I definitely see it picking up here in the next couple of years. All right, so obviously you you mentioned Davis Snyder, obviously, and he had that kind of magical first weekend, home run his first at bat. I think we all loved it. It was awesome. But uh, obviously no one's expecting him to hit 600 the rest of his career. But talk to us a little bit about him and maybe what we can expect about him as the player and if he's actually maybe sustainable as an MLE or maybe a fourth outfielder, is he is he an everyday player? You know, stuff like that. I think he's he's definitely a versatile player. I think he's a guy that, you know, he could be slotted in as a fourth outfielder. He could be slotted in as like a backup infielder. Is he an everyday player? At this point, I think it's hard to say because uh, right now with Bo Bichette being there, you know, that kind of limits it. Could he be a fourth outfielder? Yeah, I think so. Could he potentially be an everyday second baseman? Yeah. Probably if he, can, if he can continue to hit at the major league level. Like, I mean, right now they're trying to platoon in with Merrifield and Kevin Biggio, like Espinal. Like, they don't really have like an everyday second baseman. So, could he slot in there if he could continue to hit? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think he's, you know, he's definitely got a lot of upside. He has, you know, if he can continue to hit and hit for power and production, definitely could uh, slot in there. I see him more as a backup type player guy that can come in off the bench and play multiple positions, can get a clutch hit if, at times. Uh, but, you know, definitely an exciting young player. You know, he's definitely come a long ways. It's interesting. Um, you know, definitely I think we're really excited to see his uh, what happens with that. I mean, definitely, uh, you know, what you're saying makes perfect sense. And uh, there is a good chance that we're going to see guys come 2024 like Matt Chapman, Brandon Belt, Kevin Kiermaier, and maybe the aforementioned Whit Merrifield depart for free agency. Right. And obviously, we've seen what Davis can do. But when you look at guys like Spencer Horowitz, Cam Eden, Addison Barger, do you mm-hmm. think guys like that are ready to come up and backfill those spots? Um, Spencer Horowitz, um, I think he's pretty close. I mean, he's he's got a good bat. He can play left field. He can play first base. He, I think the last I heard, like at the beginning of the year, Addison Bojo was really close. I think at this point they're talking about he's going to get surgery in the off season. Mm. So I mean that might slow down his um, development a little bit. You know, however long it takes him to recover for that. I think he will be making his major league debut probably sometime next season. I think people were hoping for this season, but then you know he got had like an injury that set him back a little bit. And Cam Eden, um, he's a guy that you know he's a lot of speed. He, he's very good in defensively, so he's a guy that could potentially come up and play in the outfield. He'll be next year, maybe. You know, I don't know what his actual projection is, you know, hopefully he can make his major league debut pretty soon, but yeah, he definitely, definitely has the upside to, you know, come up there. He has speed, he has defense, he can hit, he has a little bit of power, you know, Bojo is a lot like David Snyder. He's very versatile, play pretty much anywhere in the infield. He has obviously a good bat though. Yeah. There are definitely some young players that could definitely come up and start to fill some of these roles here probably in the next few. Yeah. And uh, speaking of that, I know we've, We've touched on maybe the Jays' lack of top 100 prospects. And I know uh, Aurelis Martinez's name comes up a lot. I don't know if he's quite in the top 100, but I feel like he's close. How ex- how exciting has he been to watch this year? I know he kind of had a rough start, but kind of took off after. And to see a guy that could make be up and actually dick in the big leagues, I think. Yeah, I think he's definitely, like if anyone's going to come up and kind of take Mac. 
Matt Chapman's role next year if they don't resign him. I think he's the guy. I think he would be the one that would could potentially be an everyday third baseman. I mean, obviously, he had a slow start, but he's picking it up. His production is this through the roof. I mean, if he could come up to the major league level and hit like that, I mean, he's a guy that could definitely play every day. And he's been developing a lot more at third base lately. So he's definitely a guy that I think could come up and be like an everyday third baseman at the major league level. Yeah, and so switching to the pitching side, obviously we have guys like Ryu that are likely leaving after 2023, but the Blue Jays rotation is still pretty set going into 2024, but obviously you can never have too many arms. Uh, guys get hurt. So in that uh, scenario, say they need a couple arms, what are a couple names you can think of that could maybe come up and fill some voids if needed? I think Tiedemann will definitely uh, make his debut next year. I think Hayden Yang is pretty close. There's a, I mean, after the trades of the deadline, it's the the pitchers that are closer. You know, there there's not as many. Those two, I think, are definitely pretty close. Like a starter or a lever. I like. I think uh, Tiedemann would be, you know, pretty close as a potential starter. I think Yang is probably pretty close as a reliever. I think right now there's a, there's only a few that I would say that are pretty close after trading um, Sam Wabos away because he's definitely was one that was closer. And is uh, Jimmy Robbins close? Do you think? Yeah, yeah, I'd say he's getting pretty close. Not he just recently went up to Buffalo, so I'm, I think he's a guy that could potentially get up there as well, maybe next season. When I look at catchers, catching was at, at one point was a strength of this team. You had Jansen, Kirky, and uh, Gabby Moreno. Obviously, Moreno traded for Varsho. Mm-hmm. Um, another guy's name that's uh, kind of popped up, and I think I believe you wrote about him, was Phil Clark. Do you see him as a guy that can make an impact on the big league team in the next couple of years? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think he's a guy that's getting pretty close. He's definitely a defensive-minded catcher. Uh, he's, you know, he has the ability to um, work with the pitchers, and like I think his offense is picking up a little bit. I think that was kind of what was lacking last season for him, but it's starting to come around. So if he can continue to produce at the plate, he's a guy that could definitely come up and be a catcher at the major league level. Uh, well, Brian, what are you working on next for uh, Jay's prospects? Right now, I'm trying to get an interview set up with number seven prospect, um, Alan Roden. He's somebody that I'm trying to set up a phone interview with any day now. And, you know, just have a bunch of other, you know, always reaching out to players, seeing what I can set up. And it's kind of an endless thing. Like, uh, some days, some weeks, it's like, oh, I don't have that much going on. And then, like, players get back to me. And it's like, oh, I'm going to do two or three articles this week. And, but right now, that, right now, I'm really focused on trying to get Alan Roden. Um, I'm trying to get that set up. And, you know, I have a few other players I'm waiting to hear back from. So there's, there's always going to be some new content coming out. That's the beauty of it. You started doing some work for the Great Lakes Loons. Talk to me about that. Yeah, I do a little bit with them. With everything that happened with Lanson, I I kind of switched gears over there. Uh, like I know the radio host over there, so I jo- you know I joined their press team for a couple seasons. You know, so I do a little bit occasionally for them, and you know, every once in a while I catch a game up there and you know get some interviews for players in the Dodgers system and. I haven't been doing as much of that lately, but I definitely want to get back to it. It's, you know, it's definitely fun to get out there and, you know, hear the players' stories and, you know, share them with the world. Well, um, really appreciate you taking the time to join us. Uh, great to see you. Great to have you back on the program. And obviously the folks can follow you on Twitter 
at yeah. crawdaddy222 and on Instagram. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it's at Brian Crawford. And obviously visit the website, chaseprospects.com. Thank you so much, dude. Really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. For Brett Guard, Brian Crawford, my name is Brian Cardi. We're going to talk to you down the road. Take care. Yeah.